Hey guys. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to another episode of uh, SG Explained. So today is the 17th of September, 2018, and the time now is 7.30. Today we're going to attempt to explain a highly controversial topic. Yes, Uh, and and that's the whole point of why we do SG Explained. It's because we want to look at things that are difficult to understand on the onset, but uh, that's exactly why we did this show, and, and we're going to venture into it. Uh, the topic that we're going to do, we're going to be talking about Penal Code 377A and its relation to the LGBT community in Singapore. Uh, so some of you may be asking, why why do it now? Um, there's been a lot of talk about it mm. in the news. Yes. Uh, uh, former ambassador, or rather ambassador at large, uh, Tommy Ko, uh made this... Uh, interesting statement uh, on Facebook. He basically said it's time for people to, to bring it to court. Uh, and and people have been riled up by it. People have been motivated by, motivated by it. And we'll talk about uh, exactly what's happening right now. But but I think we're going we're gonna to take a very different stance on it uh, than what most people do instead of uh, going straight into the moral ethics uh, of it. We're actually going to go all the way back Yes. understand the history, mm. understand the context, uh, and then hopefully from there we'll be able to, to have a better perspective on, on exactly what 3778 Most is. Most definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. So, I mean, today uh, largely is also because I think was the uh, the Indian Penal Code making some adjustments as well, and I think right. that some attention to uh, the Singapore, uh, I mean, the Singapore sentiment as well. So people are also bringing this uh, conversation. But 377A essentially had a lot of conversation uh, quite a number of years back as well. Yeah. I, think they, they I mean, had... it's not a topic that Singaporeans are unaware of, right? Like if you mm-hmm. if you want to talk about the few things that are controversial in Singapore, uh, you can list them on, 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 on your two hands, but we know them, right? Mm-hmm. And 377A is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. So today, I, I think... Um, uh, also, please leave a comment about uh, 377A as well. We really want to hear your views about whether you support or whether you don't support the repeal or really if you have some information about 377A that we are unable to uh, uncover. And it would be great to also discuss it so that to the benefit of everybody, I suppose. Yeah. And because this is live, you get a chance to really answer your questions immediately. Exactly. Yeah. Willie, Willie and I don't really, we're reserving our own <laughs> personal opinions. We're going to be as objective as we can, stick to the facts. Uh, so even if even if you have an opinion uh, that you think uh, people on Facebook may not agree with, just share it, mm. uh, and we're, we're gonna we're gonna deal with with all of it. Yeah, but I suppose this topic is a really highly polarizing uh, topic for oh, most yeah. people. Um, I mean, you have different stance. Uh, I think uh, recently you have, I mean, religious bodies were very concerned about um, the repeal, but you also have largely a lot of people who says that this law uh, should be repealed because it's really quite archaic in nature. Right. I think we're hearing both sides of the camp, and I think uh, many people have different views about it. But essentially today, we want to find out what exactly is 377A. I mean, we, we were talking about 377A, yes. Is it about this? Is it about that? But when somebody asks you, Hey, what is three cents at A? I think uh, this is something that I'm not sure if most people know, but it'd be good to know what exactly we're talking about. Are we are we going to tell them what is three cents? Yeah, of course we're going to do that. But firstly, I just want to <coughs> just uh, give a, a little introduction. So anyway, for those of you who don't know, this is actually a passion project for both me and Rovic. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we do this after working hours, um, hopefully to better explain uh, what is going around in Singapore. And if you have benefited from it, please leave a comment and just tell us what kind of topics you want to hear in the future so that we can better prepare as well and really to get us, uh, get you knowledgeable about what's happening in Singapore, something that you can learn in depth. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, but first, let's let's really talk about, do you know what exactly is 377A? Uh, I've heard of what it is, but I don't know exactly what's the legal definition of 377. What is your your impression of 377? (laughs) So I know it has to do with homosexuality. Okay. And I know it specifically has to do with male homosexuality. Mm. Um, Does it, um, if I'm not wrong, I think what I understand it to be is it bans uh, intercourse between two males. I see. I see. So let's really get down to the legal definition of the 377A okay. so that people really understand what it's all about. Right. right. So this is the 
legal definition of 37A. So it goes like this. Any male person who in public or private commits or bets the commission of or procures or attempts to procure the commission of, uh, sorry, and uh, procure the commission by any male persons of any act, uh, any act of gross indecency uh, with another male person shall be punished with imprisonment for a term which may extend to two years. So that's 377. <coughs> and and the specific thing is an act of gross indecency. Exactly. Yes. So I think uh, there's there's a lot of common debate about the fact that 377A is about homosexuality directly. Right. Uh, but what I can see from the penal code itself, it really uh, just attempts to talk about um, really this act of gross indecency and not highlighting a specific area of a homosexuality, it could be implied, I'm not sure, right? But it essentially just says that any male person who commits this, yeah, it's such an a vague and interesting space to, to have a law, right? Right, right. I suppose there, there are a few things that comes up from here, which is, for example, what exactly is the an act of gross indecency? I can think of like 20 things. Hmm. Uh, None of which I want to talk about <laughs> on this podcast. Uh, but uh, maybe for the viewers, if you want to leave a comment about what you think is a gross indecency, please leave it on the comment section. Don't worry, nobody's gonna find out. Uh, everyone <laughs> on Facebook will find out, I think. Uh, but but yeah, give us some examples of what you think gross indecency uh, means or has meant. Because uh, because one of the other things that I know about three seven seven A is that the government keeps it pretty. Uh, clear that they don't actively enforce it necessarily. Yes, yes. The, right? They have made public statements about this as well. So we wouldn't even know what gross indecency means in terms of of of, of the government because they haven't enforced it mm, uh, mm. that much. I know there have been some cases, mm. uh, but, but it has been a long time since. Right. And I think later on, we will actually uh, try our best to, uh, to explore what exactly is this act of gross indecency. Right. But first, I think... Um, with a section like 377A, it really begs the question, what is 377? Because A sounds like a part of a whole section right. of 377. But really, let's try to find out what exactly is the history, all right? Right. So let's go into the brief recent history about the Penal Code Section 377 and the retention of 377A. So there actually is an existence of a Penal Code uh, Section called 377. Right. And, and for our viewers and listeners, I think it's mm. important to, to preamble by saying this is probably one of the first episodes where we're actually going to go into law. Mm. Uh, we're going to be having some legal speak. Uh, we're going to try to keep it as as average Joe as possible because <laughs> uh, both of us, Willie and, and I, are we're not, not legally trained. trained uh, so we don't have a law background. Mm. So we're going to try to understand it as much as possible. Uh, if you are a lawyer, and you are listening or watching, mm. uh, definitely clarify if we, yeah. if, we, if we make any mistakes. And of course, join the discussion with us so that yes. people may better understand exactly what they're, they're reading or what exactly they're repealing or accepting as well. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So a little history, all right? So what sparked this debate uh, in the most recent years was actually in November 2003, a police coast guard officer named Anis Abdullah was convicted under Section 377 of the Penal Code for having oral sex with a teenage girl. Okay, Mama should have told you, but okay, another <laughs> thing. But although the act was consensual, uh, the <coughs> conviction generated much debate in Singapore about whether oral sex should continue to be considered an offence in modern times. So back before November 2003, uh, oral sex was actually uh, 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 an offence. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's important to, to hop on the word consensual here because uh, it actually, so it is a legal term. Uh, it's something that has a lot of weight in law. Consensual means that both parties willingly participate. Willing participate. And exactly. so that means uh, whatever sexual act this was, mm. uh, both people wanted it and did it with full participation. Exactly. Uh, and But still it was illegal. Exactly. And so... <laughs> Uh, oral sex, if if found out, is actually an illegal uh, thing uh, before November 2003. Right. So this case caused the Ministry of Home Affairs to begin a comprehensive review of the penal code. Right. So in September 2007, it took quite a while, right? After four years. Oh, four year. years. Yeah, wow. exactly. The ministry submitted to Parliament the Penal Code Amendment Bill. 
which proposed 77 amend, amended provisions and four repeal provisions as well. So in 2007, there was actually sort of like a re a proposal of the 377 law. Right. Right. And this was this was 11 years ago. Yes, exactly. Okay. This is almost 11 years ago. So so this 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 comes as I would say not a very new topic of right. healing, but I suppose everybody is concerned now of the specific which is 377A. Right. But let's let's give an idea what exactly is section 377 in the first place. Okay. All right. So let's give you a is the legal um, legal definition of 377. So the legal definition of 377 actually is whoever voluntarily has carnal intercourse against the order of nature with any man, woman, or animal shall be punished with imprisonment for life. For life? Yeah. Or with imprisonment for a term which may extend to 10 years and shall also be liable to fine. What it means is penetration is sufficient. Okay, so this is my my uh, my uh, understanding is what it means is penetration is sufficient to constitute the carnal intercourse necessary to the offense. Okay. Yeah. So it means that this particular section three seven seven was talking about penetration. It's very very specific. Just just let, let me highlight: whoever voluntarily has carnal intercourse against the order of nature with any man. So they. <clears throat> termed it as intercourse. So it's a form of penetration, right? Right. Yeah. And they're very specific. This was 377. Right. This sounds also, let me just say, this sounds like something that was written a long, long time ago. Yes, exactly. Uh, no, I'm, I'm talking about like medieval times, uh, long, long time mm -hmm. ago. Uh, not, not because of exactly what it's saying, but the language. Mm. Whoever voluntary has carnal intercourse. Uh, <laughs> it, it does against the order of nature. Uh, yes. uh, what is the order of nature and what is carnal intercourse? Uh, I, I, this is something I do know from my very, very brief uh, brush with the law. Uh, or rather, oh. my brief brush with legal <laughs> legal jargon. Uh, legal, uh, that oh, that is what I meant. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, is that is that some parts of the law are purposely left ambiguous, mm. so that uh, it, it's allowed to be del deliberated in court, uh, in public sphere, so that society can 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 uh, make uh, evaluations based on a case to case basis. Mm, mm. Um, so I can appreciate that, but this mm. seems. Uh, not useful in its ambiguity. Right, uh, right. Right. But this would actually lay certain understanding of the differences between the 377A penal code as right. well as the 377A penal code. Right. Could you could you already see the differences? One was talking about uh, carnal intercourse right. and the other one was describing about gross indecency. Right. Yeah. So these are very two very specific areas that actually existed within the entire legal framework as well. So I, I just want to point to, to this particular thing. Yeah. <coughs> so of course this definition uh, and of course uh, was later on repealed and mm -hmm. changed. Uh, you mentioned that this was of course something that very that was uh, probably very historical. Sounds really old English, I right. suppose. Right. Uh, we'll go. We're going to get into that later as well. About okay. The history of how this entire tree sunset was actually going to be developed. Right. But first, uh, a little more recent history was that this clause, the tree sunset clause, was repealed in the Penal Code, uh, Penal Code Amendment Act in 2007. Right. And a new section 377, which criminalizes sex with a human corpse, was instituted in its place. Okay. So this entire section of carnal intercourse against the order of nature with any man, woman, or animal right, was later on um, replaced with some form of uh, sex with the human corpse. I suppose that's what you call necrophilia, right? Right. <laughs> uh, and I think a lot of us will agree that that's uh, something, gross. yeah, that's something we would, no one should allow. Mm -mm -mm. Uh, so, yeah. so now after that 2007, actually this entire thing about intercourse against the order of nature of another man actually was removed right. from history, but instead was reinstated with about... Uh, with uh, dead people, right? Yeah, but and, but three seven seven a state. Three seven seven state. So the three seven seven a state. Let me just repeat what it is. Any male person who, in public or private, commits or abets the commission of or procures or attempts to procure the commission by any male person of any act of gross indecency with another male person, 
shall be punished with imprisonment for a term which may extend to two years. Right. Mm. So that should give you sort of an idea what 377A's context actually is. Mm -hmm. mm. And of course, this was this was a clause that's retained and actually in contention for even up to today, right? Okay. In 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 in, in our in our penal in our penal code, and in and just a little bit uh, extra about the history is that in the second reading in the parliament uh, to amend the penal code on twenty second of October two thousand seven, this was during the review for the first repeal. Uh, the Senior Minister for State for Home, uh, Law and Home Affairs, Associate Professor Ho Peng Ki, I think that's why he's relevant. If you all don't know, he was, um, he was one of the ministers for Law and Home Affairs at the point of time, uh, laid down the justification for the retention of Section 377A, stating that Singapore was generally still a conservative society and the majority of its people still found homosexual behaviour unacceptable. Right, and I think this is uh, something that we'll hear again and again. Yes. Uh, in any conversation regarding 377A, that it's basically <coughs> a battle between, or not a battle, but a discussion and debate between what is termed the majority conservative society mm. uh, and the minority liberal or progressive society. That's right. Quote unquote, That's for right. everything, because we don't really know anymore what conservative, progressive, and liberals mean. Mm. So, because of that, the 377A uh, remain a status quo to maintain the country's social cohesion and let the situation evolve naturally. I think that was a statement by the government to allow the situation to evolve naturally. Yeah, and, and mm. I, if I remember this correctly, that proposal to keep the clause uh, sparked a lot of co strong comments and protests because a lot of people <coughs> in the LGBT community uh, stood up and they basically said that, that this, isn't what, this isn't the country that they want to grow up in. Mm. Uh, and it attracted a lot of media coverage, uh, especially because Singapore is such an influential country in the world sphere, uh, and and a lot of people were paying attention. Uh, yeah, hmm. and 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 I think at the point of time, society was of a different uh, composition as well, and right. different views. That's why I, I think the idea of majority and minority, uh, really, really at the point of time was kind of like different as well. Right. So let me explain so that we, we can better understand. But there was something called majority views and there right. was something called minority views, which we'll right. touch really shortly. So just to continue, the ministry proposal to keep the clause sparked strong comments and protests from gay supporters, which you say, and attracted white media coverage. Prior to the second reading of the bill in parliament, some of, some certain things happened actually, which is uh, there was an open letter sent to the prime minister. There was an online petition site called Repeal 377A was set up. And then there was also a corresponding <coughs> site called uh, Keep 377A as well. Right. So there were really a, a lot. And I think a lot of activi activism was actually happening during that before the second uh, hearing and before right. it was legislated as was well. Was this around the time that Pink Dot also happened? I'm not too sure. When was Pink Dot? When did Pink Dot begin? I think they just celebrated their 10 year anniversary. Uh, so it would have been around 2008, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, <clears throat> and I think that you can't talk about 3778 without talking about Pink Dot and a lot of the other activism groups that have been a big part of repeal 3778 and mm. a lot of these other initiatives. Mm. Uh, they've been doing a lot of the work and in, in, in making sure that this is a discussion that doesn't disappear. Most definitely. Yeah. So just to continue, the petition was presented to the parliament by an NMP called Siu Kam Hong. Uh, of course, he was uh, pro-repeal, okay. uh, head of parliament sitting on the 22nd of uh, October 2007. And then, of course, uh, uh, his statement was essentially that uh, this discriminated against homosexuals and bisexuals and, has, and was an unconstitutional dero uh, derogation as well of the constitution. I think what they were talking about is uh, specific to this thing called uh, the equal protection of the law under Article 12-1. Of the Constitution. Of the Constitution. Right. I think which is uh, uh, equal rights and protection for all people. Right. All right. So uh, they were saying that this was going contrary. So in his speech in Parliament, he argued that a private consensual act between adults should not be treated as a criminal act as it did no harm to others, uh, regardless of one's view on homosexuality. Of course, um, uh, at a point of time, another member of parliament, in, uh, Indrani Raja, said that this was, uh, of course, taken out of context. Uh, right. So, so at a point of time, it was quite. We can see really they are really debating this in parliament and trying to get this uh, three seven eight and really, uh, uh, re really getting their views across. Right. There was also uh, another NMP who was 
pro uh, uh, who was pro anti repeal, and her name. So was, she wanted to keep three seven seven eight. Exactly. Okay. So her name was Tio Li An. Right. right. And she also debated on this to say, and given her points of views in parliament, uh, it's actually, essentially, um, one thing I, I think was quite, uh, this is quite a sticking topic as well, right. is because um, both of them, or rather, Tio Li An <coughs> actually reported she re received hate mails for her stand on homosexual issues. Oh, wow. Uh, and one of, one of these mails was an email that was full of vile and obscene uh, in, in, Invective material, right? Right. So, uh, which prompted her to make a police report. So it was quite serious, right? Yeah. Um, the author of the email um, was someone called Afian Saat, who admitted that he wrote the email in a fit of anger, and uh, but essentially, um, uh, Afian was 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 sued by Tio, but later on, after he apologized, she actually rescinded her. So I I've definitely heard of Afian Saat. Yeah. Uh, he's a very influential online personality yes. and, and a poet and playwright, playwright mm -hmm. uh, especially in, in, in making some pretty controversial comments in society. Uh, I'll say this, I think regardless of whichever side anyone's on, uh, no one deserves hate. And I think and I think that's also something else about this topic that, that does make me very, very concerned, which is that um, basically at the end of the day, uh, people are talking about love, uh, people are talking about uh, what is morally right, either side or, or, of the debate. But the moment you introduce hate into the conversation, then it kind of changes yeah, things. You're as not well. fighting for the same exactly, thing. Exactly. Yeah. I, I suppose as much as there was, <coughs> there was also hate mail for uh, someone who is pro anti repeal. Right. Um, Sue, which was we earlier covered, uh, Professor Sue was also targeted by some netizens who insinuated that he was promoting a homosexual lifestyle as well. And really, the, there was some division in society on, on this matter. There was even something called uh, a group calling itself the majority. We talked about it earlier. Oh, wow. Also set up a website to collect signatures calling for the government to retain Section 377A. Um, um, essentially, the argument was that uh, repealing this section would force homosexuality on conserva the conservative population uh, who is not ready for homosexuality. And of course, um, and could lead to calls for same-sex marriages and the trend adoption by same-sex couples. So this, this essentially, at the point of time, where another group of people who feel that their rights and their way of life was going to be um, uh, disrupted. Right. And of course, some another people were thinking that we need to progress as society. Right. So really, at a point of time, this is the backdrop of 2007. And, and, and I think it's important to note that there are two groups, mm. and both of them are very, very opinionated. Exactly. Right. So I think something that I've been uh, told uh, a lot is that, oh, it's one group trying to force itself on the other group. Mm. Uh, I think that misrepresents and mischaracterizes what we are reading, because what yep. we're reading is that it has been a pretty uh, equal uh, debate in terms of people uh, collecting signatures, exactly. people, mm. representing their views, which whichever group is the majority is a different question, mm. uh, but both groups have been vocal. Right. And both groups have been able to, to, to say their piece. Exactly. Exactly. And both receiving some form of uh, hate emails. Right. Or, which is unfortunate uh, all across. Yeah. Like, uh, I would hope that if we as Singapore want to set ourselves uh, unique from other countries, that we mm. would do it in all the, in, in every way, right? Being able mm. to have a respectful debate and, and conversation about this exactly. is one of them. Mm. <coughs> but the question now really is, now that we understand the backdrop, um, this was actually brought up in 2007, right. 2008, like you mentioned, Pink Up was, was founded as well, or really organized themselves into a group. Uh, this conversation actually happened way before as well, right? So this this entire thing of 377, the question begets is, who wrote this into our law? Yeah, how did it come? How did, how did it come about? Huh. I, I'd imagine. So this is what I know, right? I know that being a Commonwealth nation, mm -hmm. that we inherited a lot of laws from Commonwealth law. Yeah. Um, and British law is basically very much influential on Singapore law. And we've mm -hmm. definitely evolved our own legal system to be very locally applicable. Yes. Uh, but I suspect, and I, and I know you've done the research on this, but mm -hmm. I suspect 
that that basically it has its roots in British law. Yes, you are actually absolutely right. Okay, uh, good. But more specifically, uh, how exactly this wiggle is way true? It was kind of like a complex series of events okay. that actually happened to why it existed in our laws. But the most common thing was this thing called the straight settlement law. Okay. Um, and its formation existence which uh, created, of course, our uh, Section 377 of the Penal Code. Right. And what exactly is the Straits uh, Settlement Law? So the Straits uh, Settlement, if, if you understand, was during the time uh, in 1871, uh, during the colonial administration of the British. Okay. Right? It Actually, the, the Penal Code was uh, it mirrored the Indian Penal Code and was the primary criminal statute in uh, uh, in Singapore. And this is the same Indian Penal Code that recently had its own repeal. Yes. Uh, in India, of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, but before that, let's talk a little bit about the history, just a little bit about right. the history of the law that we have today. <coughs> so being Singapore, of course, being uh, being in the Commonwealth of Nations, right. uh, we we took up something called common law, right? Right. Right. Of course, of course, for those who are lawyers right now, you can you can feel free to correct me online and comments, but this is my understanding. It's common law. And the, the common law, I think as far as we can go, was this time it called the ecclesiastical it had this thing called ecclesiastical roots in the Britain in Britain under this person and this king called Henry the Eighth. What is ecclesiastical roots? That sounds like a very biblical thing. Yes, it is. So I suppose uh, ecclesiastical uh, really borrows its word from the from the Bible, which says ecclesiastes, right? Okay. Right. That it's, makes sense. Yeah. So, and I think that was trying to highlight its most um, Christian or biblical roots for the law under the King Henry the Eighth. Right. Right. Okay. But just to give you an idea, so. Um, so there was this thing called, uh, so analysis of origin of the British law, right, uh, that sought to prohibit buggery and the evolution into Section 3 says that it's found in academic, okay, so these are all the academic papers. But in summary, the British anti-buggery law, for those who don't know buggery, the word buggery actually means uh, sexual intercourse between men. Oh. Yeah. So buggery yeah, so, is a yeah, very hey, specific thing. Exactly. So if anybody so if calls says you a bugger. Oh, wow. Uh, <coughs> something worth... I never knew that. <laughs> oh, so be careful wow. when, when you're saying things like, hey, you're a bugger, a bugger off. Right. <laughs> wow. I never knew that. Really adds context to the things we say. Yeah, right? the more the more you know, right? Yeah, the more you know. <laughs> so the British anti-buggery law was enacted in 1534, taking over from ecclesiastical law, okay? And the wording used, which included abominable, um, was taken from things like the Bible, and buggery, which also taken from the word, we know, understand words like sodomy, right, and vice. Um, it really is of um, of like biblical roots right. that it was formed, and this was how the, the 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 law was formed. It was formulated in the context of King Henry VIII's break from the papal authority. For those history buffs who know, the King Henry VIII broke from the uh, then the uh, the Catholic, the Catholic Church. Church. And then form the Anglican Church or what it is. It's the Church say. of England. Yeah, Church of England, essentially. Right. Yeah. And its purpose was to justify the seizure of the Catholic monasteries, as we said, and the confiscation, uh, confiscation of other wealthy properties. And so the pretext was the alleged sexual immor immorality of those in the religious vocation. Uh, this was actually how the Tree Seven Law was also created or was to the backdrop of. Right. Yeah. So so what mm. you're saying is that uh the British law that basically inspired a lot of the laws that we're going to be talking about right. uh, was part of an agenda. Yes, And that exactly. agenda was to establish the Anglican Church to uh, justify seizure of Catholic monasteries where they believed that sexual immorality, or very specifically yeah. homosexual activity, mm. was happening. Exactly. So in essence, without this anti-Catholic agenda, right, it seems likely that maybe this law might not have been enacted. Is that that is yeah. something that experts say? Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I mean, this is a point of view in law. I mean, in history. But you could you could exactly put why the basis of our common law and some of the laws that we have was stemming from this break off from the Catholic Church 
and, uh, and of course forming the Anglican uh, Church that we know and of course the corresponding laws of the British Empire as right. well. Yeah. So just to carry on, of course, this is the background. This is really historical. So this is back in the day. Yeah, back in the day. So now let's talk about something called the the Indian Penal Code. All right. Uh, so I think this this character called Lord Thomas uh, Macaulay. Um, uh, you will hear it later. We're just talking Lord Thomas. All right. So it's right. easier for people. Sometimes I'm not very good with uh, uh, English surnames. Yeah, like, uh, Lord Macaulay sounds like a and mouthful. William Farquhar. Yes. Yeah, kind of like yeah, yeah, handle, yeah, right? yeah. But anyway. Uh, so the British Parliament formed the Indian Law Commission in 1833. The, the Law Commission in is, is an executive body established by an order of the government of India. Right. So it's a major function uh, is to work for legal reform within India. Okay. Uh, at a point of time, uh, India was part of the British Empire. So this was uh, to, of course, bring law and order within uh, India and to have some kind of a legal framework within India. Okay. So during this point of time, Lord Thomas was appointed to chair the commission and he drafted the Indian Penal Code. Okay. Mm. Uh, essentially, <coughs> took him twenty-three years of his life to uh, to review the commission and uh, to uh, uh, and the Supreme Court judges in Mumbai, Calcutta, and Madras. Uh, these were, of course, uh, uh, popular destinations at the point of time in right. uh, the British Empire. As and well. Probably legal yeah. centers as well. Exactly. So the code was adopted in eighteen sixty and took effect in the 1st of January, 1862. So two years after right. its adoption. So was this an Indian thing or was this a British thing? Like was Lord Thomas trying to write laws for India or was he trying to bring in British uh, imposition somewhat? On... I, I suppose I suppose the British was already colonizing India right. and they're really imposing their standards, but they also had to bring law and order into India with India's backdrop culture, uh, legal frameworks, so there, there must be some review of what is acceptable and right. unacceptable in legal. I think it's probably important to mm. say that it was trying to bring its version of law and order into India. Into India, exactly. Because right? India probably already had its own law and order. Exactly. Or its, or own, maybe, its own definition of it. Right. I haven't researched <coughs> that part, but I suppose it had maybe a more distributed view about what it is, or maybe it was a monarchy, or maybe it wasn't that, uh, because they didn't exactly have the Supreme Court, maybe? I, I think something that I read mm. was that under Hindu law, mm. consensual intercourse between members of the same sex was never an offense. Mm. Mm. Uh, so, so section three seven seven in British uh, in the British version of the Indian Penal Code mm. was basically something altogether new. Right. Yeah. I I think you're definitely right. So so let's let's go on. Right. Section three seven seven a really was added to the okay. So. Section 377 was to this backdrop. We talked about the fact that uh, there was the straight settlements. Right. And then we talked about the Indian Penal Code. Right. So this Indian Penal Code was drafted by Lord Thomas, right? Right. Uh, it did not reflect any existing Indian laws or custom. It right. really was just last year, a rewrite of the British Royal Commission in 1843. That we talked about. Yeah, that we talked about, right? Yes. And then adopted, the other drafts included uh, Section 377. Uh, but... Of course, like you mentioned, it kind of is kind of ambiguous. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, and I think I suppose that ambiguity perpetuated to what it is today. Right. And, yeah. and, and I think, <coughs> and I think that's something else that we'll see, which is that what initially was meant for uh, social relevance to, to play mm. a big role has in essence uh, codified it into something more permanent than it ought to be. Right, right. right? The, 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 the notion that any of this is permanent or has a fixed meaning is completely missing uh, the, mm. the motivation of this law. Mm. This law mm. was meant to be socially applied right. uh, and to have uh, meaning uh, based on social context. Right. And just to add, so we now know that 377 was actually... Um, had its roots in India, and of course, the larger root was from British law, right? right. So, uh, Lord Thomas was the one who drafted in 377. But the section 377A was, which was outrage on decency, right? We talked about gross indecency, was added to the subtitle of unnatural offenses in the straight settlement right. 1938. Right. So, this was an addition, right? Singapore was a colony, and the straight settlement was an administrative unit of the East Indian Company. Okay, and both sections were absorbed unchanged into the Singapore Penal Code from the 
of course, from the uh, straight straight settlement and right. of course, largely from the independent court. Uh, when the letter was passed by Singapore's Legislative Council on 20th of January, 1955. So let's follow this, right? So mm-hmm. it started off with uh, British law yep. and King Henry VIII tried to... Divorce itself from the Catholic Church, yep. from the Anglican Church, and then and... had his own uh, series of laws. Yeah, that were convenient. Most, mm-hmm. and, yeah which were convenient and targeted at, at, at seizing property from from Catholic monasteries and, and, and institutions. Uh, and of course, legalized certain agendas that King Henry VIII had. Right. The Indian Penal Code was formed uh, by uh, a British uh, subject who basically uh, was trying to create law and order in India. Uh, and he basically just adapted that law uh, for India without any context in India. Mm. Uh, and then the Straits Settlements, which is an administrative unit of the East yep. India Company, mm. took that law and just put it in uh, into the straight settlements uh, legal code. And then uh, that was basically uh, absorbed unchanged into the Singapore penal code yes. that we currently see today. Correct. So in <coughs> 1955, I think that was when Singapore was having its uh, self-governance for right. the first time, right? So we, we sort of like, uh, uh, I think we were celebrating, I think it was like, Self-governance or something, yeah. It what the British finally let us uh, govern ourselves. Govern ourselves, yeah. yeah. And this was written into our laws when we when we gained self-governance, right? As well, so that's why it became one of the Singapore's Legislative Council. So this is ex- actually the the overarching history, right, of the entire three seven seven and three seven seven A, right? Yeah. So so today. so I think it's important to note at this point. Uh, again, two key things. Mm. The first is that. Uh, this law basically is not necessarily a Singaporean law. Mm. Uh, and, and that's a question <coughs> for debate, totally open for debate, but it's not something that was emerged out of a Singaporean context. In fact, it was brought in and still requires adaptation. I suppose this is a stickling topic because what exactly <coughs> is a Singaporean and identity? We're, sure. Yeah, we, we were a colony. They're birthed out to be independent and right. with all these things. We were we were borrowing cultures, right? And then we there's were, this whole idea of common part. law as well. Yeah, common exactly. law basically means that it should be applied regardless of context. That it is common enough, absolutely, that it should be law. And I get that, and I and I can understand that. But mm. I think it's important to make that distinction because uh, what I hear a lot of times is that this is important to Singapore uh, because it preserves something that is essentially Singaporean, right? Uh, and that always uh, is something that I I have uh, issues with because. It was never uh, just Singaporean. It was mm. inherited from a lot of different contexts. Of course, yeah. Uh, so, speaking <coughs> of debate, guys, um, if you have a comment about 377A or 377, the history of 377A, even if views about whether uh, we should have it or we should repeal it, I think please leave a comment in the comment section so that we can know about what your views are and maybe probably we can address it as well. Pretty interesting for a lot of people who are tuning in now. Right. Right. But let me, let's just do a recap for those who are just listening in. So just to keep in the context, right? What exactly is 377A? So let me just do a recap of 377A. All right. So this is how it goes. Any male person who in public or private uh, commits or bets the commission of or procures or attempts to procure the commission by any male person of any act of gross indecency with another male person shall be punished with imprisonment for a term which may extend to two years. So what we are debating on today in today's context in 2018 yeah. is really this definition of 377A. Now, I think early on we mentioned about this thing called gross indecency. And what exactly do we mean by gross indecency? Actually, there is sort of like a definition of this Oh, within wow. the law, actually. Okay. And, or maybe it could borrow itself <coughs> in history of how the term gross indecency actually came about. Right. Right. So let's just give you an idea, all right? Um, 377A was introduced into the Singapore Penal Code in 1938 to criminalize all other non-penetrative sexual acts between men. So remember, we talked about the existence of 377? Right. That was, that's, its definition really was to, uh, was to uh, criminalize all... Uh, intercourse or penetrative acts uh, by, uh, uh, of, of, uh, sorry, criminalizing the penetrative acts in 377. Yeah. And 377A was supposed to criminalize for non-penetrative sexual acts between men. Okay. Hmm. 
Hmm. So this was how it was actually set out in history. And today we are talking about really, now we're trying to really define in, uh, in our legislation, what exactly does gross indecency actually constitute? All right. So let me just give you this thing called the Labo Laboche Amendment. I'm not sure whether I'm pronouncing correctly. Let me Google it. Right. But anyway, I think once uh, Rovic gets a better underst uh, uh, understanding of how, how it is, uh, let me just spell it out. Okay. Laboche, L-A-B-O-U-C-H-E-R-E -E Amendment. All right. Oh, there's now, a, I never knew this, but there's a website called howtopronounce.com. Oh, okay. Uh, Let's see how it sounds like. Right. La Boucher. Yeah. Okay, La sure. Sounds really Frenchy. Right? <laughs> yeah. La Boucher Amendment. So the term gross in this indecency used in the statute was based on the wording of the La Boucher Amendment, also known as Section 11 of the Criminal Law Amendment Act in 1885 of the UK. Okay. Right? It was not an euphemism for buggery or sodomy, which we now know what buggery means, right? Yeah. Uh, which was already a crime, but rather any other sexual activity between men. Right. And I can see here that you have the Laboche Amendment uh, written up. Mm. Can I read it? Yeah, go ahead. All right. So any male person who in public or private commits or is party to the commission of or procures or attempts to procure the commission by any male person of any act of gross indecency shall be guilty of a misdemeanor and being convicted shall be at libel at the discretion of a court to be imprisoned for a term not exceeding two years with or without hard labor. So this is this is the Laboche Amendment. Exactly. It sounds exactly like Section 377. Exactly. So this is an identical phrasing between this amendment and our current 377A. And of course, it's the best evidence that the, the latter was derived from the former yeah. because of course it was from the UK, right? Right. So what we could understand really the historical context of what 377A is, if it's borrowed from the Laboucher Amendment, is that this was to convict a non-penetrative sexual acts between men. So gross indecency, essentially, if I cannot include, I can exclude the fact that it is non-penetrative in nature. Can I? Okay. I feel like we can't do this podcast mm. without talking about what that means. <laughs> <laughs> what does non-penetrative gross indecency mean? All right. So it could imply, for example, uh, in, in between a man and men, I suppose imaginations could be uh, anal sex as one example. Right. Right. So that's penetrative acts as well. Right. Um, I think in previous time, I read something about an Indian man really penetrating through a cow's nostril. So that's bestiality that right. also constitutes some action of uh, right. penetrative act as well. Right, right. Yeah. So, so uh, um, I mean, at 377 was actually for both men and women at a point of time. Right. Right. And 377 was specific to males, mm -hmm. uh, non-penetrative in nature. Right. Yeah. So that gives kind of like a context to what we are reading our current 377A. Now, of course, once again, gross indecency, how it's interpreted in our modern context will be largely different, but at least we know the historical um, uh, setting in which how 377A was founded and borrowed and created, mm -hmm. right? So um, this law was repealed in part of the Sexual Offences Act in 1967 when homosexual acts were decriminalized in England and Wales with remaining provisions being deleted later. So of course, the uh, England and Wales actually deleted this from their law in 1967. Right. Right. So I think, I guess, single section 378 is kind of like descended from the Laboucher uh, Amendment. Uh, there is no compelling evidence to support that uh, the legend that lesbians were not included in similar legislations all across the Commonwealth uh, because Queen Victoria refused to believe that women <coughs> were capable of such behavior. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> and that's why. So, this is a rumor that. Uh, and this is a saying right. of why uh, 377A was specifically about men. Why is it not about women? It's because at the point of time, Queen Victoria didn't believe women were capable of such access. That's, that's a myth, basically. Uh, that's, that could be a myth. <laughs> not sure. It could be a myth, right? It could be a legend. Right. Oh, <laughs> and over here we have uh, actual examples of what uh, gross indecency could include. Mm. So uh, content warning, 
if yeah. there are young kids listening to this, it's a good time <clears throat> to close your ears or maybe ask your parents if you should be listening. <laughs> uh, but it includes mutual masturbation, right. genital contact, mm. or even lewd behavior without direct physical, physical contact. contact. Mm. So uh, performing such acts in private does not constitute a defense. So mm. that means even if no one saw you, yeah. uh, it is still criminal. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and And wow. So... So that's very interesting. Right. Uh, and, and what I'm seeing here is that there is not, nor has there ever been any law in Singapore equally specific to non-penetrative lesbian sex. Mm, 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 mm. So I think that's something else that has been a big part of this conversation, which is, you know, if you are basically trying to uh, police or uh, moralize a certain uh, way of life, specifically the homosexual way mm. of life, then... <clears throat> Why is it specifically against men, right? Mm, mm. So I think that's a very interesting uh, space for debate. It doesn't really hit the main point, right. which is why, uh, why is that law there in the, in, in the first place? I think answering that question will, will be able to give us a better starting point for any kind of discussion uh, rather than anything else. Which begs the question, so if, for example, I'm not very sure of the law, but if a lesbian couple were to... Uh, do uh, a lewd act in public or in private and they got caught, would they be criminalized? There, yeah. I think there are other laws in the Singapore Penal mm, Code mm. that will catch that. And that's the biggest <laughs> thing, right? Like uh, the Singapore legal system is very, very comprehensive mm, in that mm, aspect. Mm, 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 uh, mm. So so don't worry. If you do something... Uh, Not worrying, bro. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the government will probably have something true. on you. And of course, to, to add uh, some history or so of how this topic was being debated, just to name probably a few about the brave people or rather uh, some of the individuals uh, who were brave enough to challenge uh, this uh, this repeal of right. the 37A. I think there were things like, for example, uh, Tan Ing Hong versus the Attorney General in 24 September 2010. Uh, uh, about challenging the constitution of Section 377A. Right. Right. Uh, at the point of time, the lawyer was M. Ravi. I think M. Ravi is... He's a uh, very, very notorious uh, guy. <laughs> yeah, he... Uh, it's probably uh, worth looking into him if, you, if you've never heard of mm -hmm, him. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. But M. Ravi is a very prolific person. In right. I wouldn't politics. say notorious. I would say, I'd say <coughs> maybe prolific or yeah. very well-known for right. his activism as well. Right. Right. And um, I think he was acting on behalf of Tong. Uh, Tan Ing Hong, uh, who was charged for allegedly having oral sex with another consenting adult male in a locked cubicle or public toilet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so of course this is once again uh, uh, another appeal. I think this is another uh, area in which was challenged in court. Right. At a point, of time. unfortunately, uh, uh, the the law were decided against him at the point of time. Right. Upholding the law at a and it's time. I mean, it was thrown out of court. Uh, <coughs> and the reason for it was, quote unquote, citing a lack of a real controversy for the court to deal with. Mm. Uh, and I think <coughs> and I think that the key issue here was that uh, it was uh, it was then said that according to the Supreme Court of Judicature Act of Singapore Rules of Court, uh, that that only only if the case was considered not frivolous, then it right. could be argued. Right, right. Uh, but then the Court of Appeal said, actually, that's not so true mm. because this is uh, a non-frivolous uh, ruling. Yes. Uh, and 3778 did affect the lives of not in insignificant portion of Singaporeans. Right. So the key recognition here is that the court has basically said that uh, the community that is affected by 3778 yeah is a significant mm. and worth uh, and it's worth its time, it's place in court, mm. right? And I think that's a very significant thing because if anything else, that is the court recognizing that these people exist right. and have an argument. Of course, of course. I, I think to, to look at it also another way is that I think there was another case in which uh, they believe that uh, the law was a mere... And, uh, or rather the courts were a mere uh, tool right. or rather to to exact the law that's legislated. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and this, therefore... is, this is something that we know about, mm. about the way good uh, governance works, right? You have three 
parts of government. You have the legislation, mm. uh, legislative, executive, and uh, judicial. Right. Right. And all three need to work in tandem. Right. Uh, but the judicial only can enforce the laws created by the legislature. Exactly. Right. So because the legislative has not appealed or has not uh, uh, um, done further amendments, uh, the judicial had to actually execute <coughs> the law. Right. In fact, just to uphold it. Right. And so it, I suppose this is a very sticky situation as well. It's very, although it's easy to understand, I suppose, right. but something that is worth noting as well, whether you decide to fight in the courts or you decide to fight for uh, reforms within the legislation. Right. And I think this is something that we'll see again with uh, the next case, which is Ling Meng Swan right. uh, and another uh, versus the Attorney General. Uh, and basically in this case, um, a constitutional challenge was again filed on in 2012 uh, on behalf of Ling Meng Swan and Kenneth Chi, uh, a gay couple of 15 years mm. uh, by attorney Peter Lowe. Right. And basically what happened was that uh, Justice Quentin Lowe uh, ruled uh, the same thing, basically saying that this is a case that uh, needs to be, uh, basically he has to enforce the law and any kind of challenge has to be done in parliament, mm -hmm. right? Uh, what is interesting about this um, is that they appealed to the Court of Appeal uh, and they tried to get two highly esteemed lawyers uh, not from Singapore. So one of them was a British lawyer uh, and, and and a former attorney general for England and Wales, mm. Lord Peter Henry Goldsmith. Uh, and Goldsmith had agreed to take the case without pay. Wow. Right? Mm. Uh, but they were disallowed because Justice Raja uh, believed that the legal issues were arguable by domestic lawyers, uh, which is preferred by Singapore. Okay. And I get that. Okay. Right? I think that's a very valid consideration. Mm. Uh, but I think what was attempted here was to bring in the kind of argumentation that has been used in, in, in the UK, uh, in Singapore. Um, right. So the Court of Appeal rejected uh, the challenge, ending the case. Um, but, uh, and, and the key argument that was made was that uh, the challenge didn't stand because it was consistent with Article 9, as Article 9 is meant to protect against unlawful imprisonment, hmm. uh, and that it is consistent with Article 12, because <laughs> Article 12 only mentioned religion, race, and place of birth. So discrimination on gender, sexual orientation, or sex is not uh, is not necessarily uh, the same kind of argument. Sure, sure. Um, and I think we, we talked about the fact that um, we uh, separate the judicial as well as the legislature. So as in all judgments before, the court held that any legal remedy would have to come through an act of Parliament. Right. And yeah. so and so that actually makes it really, really interesting why uh, what happened with Professor Tommy Coe, mm. right? So uh, exactly what happened was that after uh, after India basically scrapped uh, its British colonial era legislation, which we read about in the Indian Penal Code, mm. uh, Tommy Coe is ambassador at large at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, made a comment saying, uh, in response to, to someone's uh, post, he said, I would encourage our gay community to bring a class action to challenge the constitutionality of Section 3778. And someone basically replied, uh, this person called Edward Tay, he said, Professor, hasn't that angle been disposed of by Ling Meng Swan, which is the case that we just talked about? And Tommy Ko very, very sheepishly says, try, try again. again. Um, wow. But so you, you it, know what? Let's, let's maybe um, look at the context of today. Now we know right. the history. Now we know the battle right. for the repeal or the stay of 377A. Let's have sort of like a understanding of what exactly is going on to, uh, with, uh, with the minds and hearts of the people in today's sure. context. Today is so, 20 of 18. So what, what is the majority? Right? right. So there was a Straits Time article recently, right, uh, that, that indicated this very interesting title called 55% of Singapore residents support Section 377A. So they support IPOS, keeping it. Yeah, uh, support uh, IPOS survey. So what that means is that the online survey by IPOS Public Affairs, of course, an independent market research company, was conducted over a period of four days from July to August in 2018 to understand the social attitude <coughs> towards same-sex marriage. Right. Uh, same-sex relationship, sorry, not marriage. Right. I correct myself, towards same-sex relationship. And this survey had about 750 Singaporean citizens 
and permanent residents. But if you say that 55% of Singapore residents support three seven uh, uh, support three, section 377A, we mean also that 45 people don't, 45 percent right. people. So when asked the extent of these 750 Singaporeans, whether they support or oppose 377A, uh, of course, we said that 45, uh, 55% uh, uh, supported it. Uh, and while 12% actually said they opposed it. Right. Yeah. So that means the remainder didn't have a strong opinion. Right. So the sentiment varied according to gender with males more likely to strongly support the law than females. And Singapore residents aged between 15 to 24 were more likely to oppose the law. So the young ones were more likely to oppose the law. While residents aged 55 to 65 were more likely to support it. Right. So I'd still, I, I would say, I'd still say that it was pretty much um, maybe split between age groups as well. Right. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a bit dangerous to theorize mm. uh, just based on this data because we don't know the context. We don't know exactly what was happening. Mm. Uh, but uh, it, is, it is not um, something that is completely unfamiliar. So even with, uh, even with Professor Tomiko's recent challenge, mm. what happened was that there were two uh, petitions that were started uh, concurrently, the first one to keep 377A and the other one to repeal it. Um, and the numbers basically show that there were more people in support, again, mm. of keeping 377A. Of course, of course. Uh, so, so these are not unsurprising numbers. Mm. Uh, it is worth talking about probably in a different session or even uh, in your own communities or groups. Uh, whether those things are, are, are quote unquote uh, right, mm. morally right, morally uh, questionable. Uh, that's not what we're trying to do sure, here today. We're just trying to understand yeah. it. Interesting to note that 33% of Singapore residents, when, when they were posed this specific question, right, uh, agreed with the statement, I am more accepting of same sex relationships than I was five <coughs> years ago, while 35% disagreed. So we, we seem to also have people who. Uh, would say that, you know, in the past they disagree, but now they actually agree. Right. Some people said, that, of course, they, they don't. But yeah. I, I think we, we are seeing a really uh, quite a distinct line, right? If you're saying that 55 and 45, or maybe some have abstained from making these comments, uh, we're seeing a growing uh, um, discussion as well in today's public, uh, in today's um, online as well, in the public sphere as well. People are really talking about 377A. And right. really, I think the history of 377A is, I think, part and parcel of our our identity as well. Yeah. yeah. It, to, to, to be Singaporean means to talk about every aspect of our nation. And it includes mm -hmm. the people who are uh, from the LGBT community, uh, who, who do uh, have a valid argument. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and making that claim. I think I think the key thing about all of this is that we recognize a number of things. Uh, the first is that the law itself uh, doesn't have any uh, intrinsic meaning by itself. It is actually more symbolic uh, of, of, of things that have been passed on. Uh, and, and it is basically something that people can, can is, is, it's designed for social application. Right, that's something that we've seen from the Indian Penal Code, from the inheritance, from British law, uh, and I think, and I think that's important because we need to have a conversation about all of this. Mm -hmm. Right. I think the second thing about it uh, that I'm learning today uh, is that uh, these conversations are good. Right. So regardless of your stance on it, it is important to still value our ability to have this conversation. Sure. Right. We need to value the fact that we are able mm. to decide what it means. And I think um, Minister Shanmugam basically said that. He said uh, it is up to the Singapore society to decide, but the majority of Singaporeans uh, were currently opposed to any change in the law. But the key thing is that it's up to us to decide. And mm. the only way to make that decision is if we have open communication and good faith. Right. Right. Uh, and continue the debate, of course, without hate emails. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. without uh, uh, side, uh, both sides throwing um, um, hate all around. Right. And we, of course, have a very good discussion about how we should progress society. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, as of September 17th, 
uh, whenever you guys are listening to this, as of September 17, 2018, uh, there is currently a challenge already being filed uh, with the High Court, and that is by uh, this person called Johnson Ong. Uh, he's a DJ, DJ Big Kid, mm. uh, and this was uh, after the ruling in India where they repealed uh, their version of 377A, and after uh, Professor Tommy Coe's uh, challenge. So, so this is a, a conversation in progress. Uh, there is no, uh, there's no necessary endpoint to it. And it's something that we'll have to continue talking about, uh, I think, for a while to come. Mm, definitely. Yeah. All right. I think that's all we have for today. Yes. We've, I've just seen the one hour clock as well. Yes. Thank you for joining us today about talking about 377A. I hope that you guys understood what exactly you are repealing or you're supporting. But definitely this adds context to what you are going to be doing next time or having a conversation with other people. Right. I, and, and yeah, and I, I want to reinforce, have a conversation. Talk mm. about it, debate about it, mm. uh, develop an opinion about it. Uh, because I think that's what makes us good citizens. Okay, definitely. So thank you, everybody. My name is Willie and... I'm Rovek. All right, we'll see you next time on SG Explain. Good night. Cheers.